Um, it's been brought to my attention that um, I need to make an on-air apology this week. Um, apparently, like, you know, threatening your husband at gunpoint with the Nerf gun and, right. and, and, and terrorizing uh-huh. him on the air is... Um, Keep it coming. Yeah, it's, it's not the best. So what I wanted to do this week is to start isometric off with a sincere apology to yeah. my husband for <laughs> holding him at Nerf gunpoint for most of the last show That's and right. terrorizing him and, and, and actually intimidating uh-huh. Frank to make Georgia like barf up secrets. So, and that's okay, why Georgia's okay. not here anymore. That's yeah. it. That's it. That's it. R.I.P. Georgia. All right. All right. Here we go. Okay, Frank. Uh, Brianna. Okay. I am so sorry. This is a very heartfelt apology. Apology may be more believable if you're not laughing. Okay, Okay, hold on. Try it again. Okay. Um, I am so (laughs) sorry. I am very sorry for for (laughs) shooting. No, you're not. No, I'm very sorry. That's all I've got for you. That's all I've got for you. I'm sorry. Okay, well, I'm dissatisfied. All right, well, we can, you're gonna have to live with that. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Frank. Um, he's easy yeah, to please. He yeah. is easy. No, what a he's good not, guy. He's not. He's not skulking off right now at all. So. No, that doesn't sound like it at all. <laughs> yeah. So actually, okay. So Simone and Maddie, both of you are not married. So I not to what, each other, right, not to anybody no, else. Or should be married to each other, I think. Yeah, but yeah. I yeah. feel like there are people out there who would object to that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Possible. I feel like we could do our own eHarmony right here on the show and then, you know, right. have an arranged marriage. Is that what this is about? Are you trying I mean, to hook me up? I, yeah, I actually thought that was the purpose of the show. But if, yeah, if we're going to do other topics, that's fine. That's not the show today. No, so, okay. So I was thinking this week about my vows and um, when I got married, I made what is in retrospect a terrible, terrible mistake. Um, I vowed to Frank to love, honor, and obey him. And what I found <laughs> what? in the last... You really need to read the fine print you on that left stuff. You right? obey him there? <laughs> I know. So in the last eight years, that has really like come up a few times. So this is my plan for both of you. And like it's too late for me. I have to wait until Sweet Sweet Death releases me. But like, <laughs> this, is something, this is something that you can do for yourselves if you ever get married, which you shouldn't feel any pressure to do. So this is what you could do. You're up there on, you know, whatever they call it, the stage, I guess, or whatever they call it. <laughs> and yeah. you go, um, I, Maddie Myers, do promise, do vow to love Blonner and Blobay. <laughs> and you just say it really quickly like that. And hopefully, like, the pastor or, or whoever's doing the ceremony isn't going to notice. And that, like, you're off the hook, right? Like, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's I'm legal. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I don't think that, I mean, you're going to have to blow bay. Um, but you know, I don't know that anyone can really hold you that. I don't know that. what that means. That's not a word. It doesn't sound great. I have to say, you gotta not, you gotta not pronounce it that way. <laughs> what? I'm just like blotter. What does yeah. blotter okay. mean? Blotter. So, okay. so Brie, I think you, you're you're missing the loophole here, which is that you just need to have a vow renewal ceremony. Ooh. Oh, that's right. And then from then on, those are binding. So you just kind of work that out of the vows, and then you're all set. You're oh, good. Oh, wow. I vow to disrespect. This is why you keep me around, Brie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would change all the vows. They would become 
very, very different. But you wouldn't <laughs> no. reveal them until the last moment. And by then it would be yeah. too late. No, yeah. it would have to be like a like you're arbitrating something, like with legal counsel. It would be like, look, I promise I will try to to <laughs> To clean up the kitchen. Are you going to negotiate yeah. for your right to disrespect your husband? Yes. Is that how this is going? That's how, that's marriage. Based on what I yeah. know about you, you have yeah. already negotiated that right and enacted on a regular basis. <laughs> I, I think we can argue there is legal precedent for Brianna disrespecting Frank. All right. All right. All right. Cool. That's good. To dishonoring. Know. Disobeying. Dishonoring. No, I'm not dishonoring, Simone. I'm blobeying. <laughs> Don't say that. That that is a pretty terrible word, actually. <laughs> well, nobody knows what it means, so we can't really say that it's terrible. But we can imagine, and that's what's dangerous. I'm imagining it's something good. I don't know. I don't know why good. everybody else is imagining something else. But so should we? We should probably. Well, since we've clearly gone to a couple, I've already at this point. been introduced in my marriage <laughs> ceremony to Simone. But I mean, I guess you can introduce all of us if you want, Steve. At the end of the new today, wife. Simone and Maddie are getting engaged on the show. It's yeah, crazy. and we're going to bring our boyfriends in here and break up with them publicly on the show too. <laughs> That's all I've ever wanted—just a really big, dramatic public breakup. Yeah, ceremony. Same. Why don't we have public breakup ceremonies? Can that be a thing? I think it's called The Bachelor. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's do the show. This shall is not we? Rocket. We can't talk about The Bachelor. I know. Uh, I know. We're banned. Uh, so, so uh, since Georgia is off uh, fighting sharks somewhere in in the southern U.S., uh, so we have a video producer and host from Pixelkin.org and a connoisseur of Oreos of all shapes and sizes, uh, uh-huh. Simone de Rochefort, uh, joining us to fill in. So, thank you for thank you for joining us, Simone. Thank you so much for that introduction, but I told you not to talk about the Oreos anymore. I well, have suffered enough. I've, I've been I've been doing a podcast with Brie for long enough that I know not to listen to anything that anybody tells me to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, Steve brought up Tron to me for, like, a million years, and so did the rest of Twitter. So, like, if you say anything about any topic on a podcast, that's it for you. That's the thing that thing. you're going to talk about <sighs> forever, actually. That's something I've learned, which is why I never say anything anymore. Yeah. I've noticed. You've been so quiet lately, dear. I know. What's I haven't wrong? had any controversial opinions at all for weeks now. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. So- so I guess we can go. We can just Wait, go. Do I not get introduced? Oh, I thought yeah. we were, I didn't think we were introducing anybody anymore. I thought we were just oh, going to a cold open now. Me yeah, okay. Steve, did yeah, you even introduce yourself? I haven't like, introduced myself. Happening? I don't know anymore. I don't Honestly, know where we are. I don't so. know who any of you are. I'm just here on a show with strangers. <laughs> so anyway, like six minutes in, welcome to Isometric. Uh, so <laughs> I'm Steve Lubitz, and, and uh, that that voice you hear, uh, not a well, not sincerely apologizing to her husband, is uh, Games Boss at at Giant Space Capriano Wu. How you doing, Bree? Let's crack a lack. I want to get on with the trial of Georgia Dow for missing today's show. Mm-hmm. We, she will be sentenced in absentia, and we will figure out what we're going to do about that. Is she fighting the sharks, or is she on the side of the sharks? I don't know. I don't know. It's this... Georgia, so probably fighting the sharks. Good. I would say. Okay. Yeah. okay then we I don't know. She friends. could be leading the shark uprising. Yeah, I mean, she might be taking uh, if you can't beat them, join them approach to shark warfare. Yeah. You really, it's it's really hard to say with Georgia. She's really unpredictable. She could be Aquawoman. You know, have you thought about that? That's a possibility. I think about it every day. <laughs> 
Anyway, I'm and, Maddie Myers. Yeah, so we and... also yeah we also have editor editor at the Mary Sue and uh, Twitter mime uh, Maddie Myers. <laughs> oh wow! What if I started uploading vines of myself miming various controversial topics? Like I would have to find a way to talk about like you know I don't know what's controversial, guys. Video games. <laughs> <laughs> Well, apparently, I'll I'm talk about the like probable about boob physics in Resident Evil 2 via mime. Look uh, forward to that. That, that could be That'll dangerous, be actually. Oh, yeah. no, it'll be really fun for me, <laughs> but not for the viewer. <laughs> I might buy like some watermelons or something. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, this is, you, you know, you have to do this now. Oh, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> She's going to blow bay. <laughs> you need to blonder the the vows you took with this show, Maddie. I yeah. blonder and blow bay isometric every <laughs> moment of every day of my life. <laughs> oh god! Yeah, the best part is you could use this on pretty much any word. Like it's it's not Simone de Rochefort; it's Blamone. Go on, that's so it does yeah. sound pretty bad. So does Blatty Blyers. Blatty yeah. Blyers, oh my god. Blatty Blyers. Bliana Blue. Bliana <laughs> Blue. And Bleave Blue Vits. All right, so I guess we should talk about video games, and we can start with actually a really serious topic, so we're glad we got sure. all that out of our, out of our <laughs> Let's system. Let's just get that out of the way. Yeah. Um, so the American Psychological Association just today uh, released a new report uh, that is stating that there is, in fact, according to them, a link between playing violent video games and increases in aggression and a decrease in sensitivity to aggression. So this is something, this is a position that they've had uh, for a long time, and then they have had a number of reports over the last uh, decade, and then they eventually have had to go back and commission further reports after some of their points were refuted. They did say that there's insufficient evidence whether playing violent video games will lead to criminal violence or delinquency. But the the Entertainment Software Association, as you would imagine, was none too pleased about this. Um, this is the same kind of battle that we've been having for a long time. And the ASA has been fighting against this since the Jack Thompson days. And what, even going so far as to quote the uh, Supreme Court ruling that says that there's there's no link there. So, but the the APA is is doubling down on this. This is something that they they brought up again after the shooting that was in Sandy Hook in 2012 and that's when they they formed this APA task force to start looking into this again. So, uh, I guess we can just go around. So, what are your thoughts on this? Does this surprise you? Is this something that um is concerning? What what were your thoughts when you saw this today? You know, I'm just kind of I'm kind of tired of talking about it in such broad terms. You know, does do video games make people be more violent? They've already said that it doesn't lead directly to criminal activity and that the really there is no single risk factor that leads to people becoming violent. So it's frustrating to me that we're talking about this on this like broad level of aggression, which is caused by a lot of things. I always point to, you know, being stuck in a traffic jam, stubbing your toe, having slow Wi-Fi. All those things make people frustrated and angry and act out. And I think it's it's a similar reaction to what happens when you're stuck in a video game or when you're in a competitive environment like in a shooter or in a soccer game, for example. So I wish we could kind of delve deeper into like, how do we as a society and how does American culture talk about violence and how do we 
perpetuate violence in all kinds of ways? And then how do we address that on a more personal level? Like, cause I, I feel like after events like this, there's always this big uprising of what do we do about the violence, the violence situation in this country? But outside of that, I don't really hear many people talking about it. And I think I always say what we really need to do is just be talking, having multiple conversations, especially with kids as they're growing up, like about what violence means to them and what experiences they're having in video games when they might be doing violent things. Like, how does that make you feel? Does this make you stressed? Like, talk about what's going on on an individual level. And I wish Georgia were here because she is so yeah. smart about this stuff. But you're just going to have to, you're going to have to have me instead. That's, that's just how I, my initial reaction to it is heavy sigh. Yeah. I'm also sad that Georgia's not here for this, but maybe we yeah. can revisit it if she has further thoughts next week. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm sure a lot of other places are going to be talking about that this week mm-hmm. too. Uh, so I, I have seen studies about this before that, that had a similar result. Although the other studies that I have seen in the past have mostly linked competitive games to aggressive behavior. And it, and um, I did see a study where the competitive game didn't actually necessarily need to be a violent game. It could be a game of air hockey or peggle even or or any any (laughs) competitive game um would still instill these feelings of aggression and i mean anecdotally i can promise you that that's true because i have seen friends of mine like nearly come to blows over super smash brothers and like mario and all of that stuff because if you're competing and like you know you're playing a multiplayer mario game these days they can be very frustrating (laughs) so like i mean we we i can definitely understand like okay um people might have some aggressive feelings right after they play the game like i've seen studies about how those aggressive feelings exhibit immediately after and during you playing the game and obviously the more aggressive feelings you have the more things like testosterone can propagate in you and like different things can happen to your body when you engage in competitive behaviors a lot it can actually physically change you in some ways that can be documented which is kind of cool in a way (laughs) maybe (laughs) scary if you see it as not your choice but i don't know that i personally see it that way i would prefer as a person who actually really enjoys competitive games, some of which are violent, some of which I would say are are not violent, like Super Smash Brothers, um, but it is, are still competitive games, I, I would prefer to see those games as an opportunity to really think about uh, how I approach my own feelings as I play. And I, I've talked on this show about like growing up and being a really sore loser and like being really mean to my friends about <laughs> fighting games and like really only caring about winning to a detriment to my friendships at the time. And like, I have a lot of regrets about being that way. And I've really tried to look at myself and be like, what is causing those feelings? And when I start to get angry at a fighting game, I like actively tamp down on that. And I think I'm going to try playing this character that I've never played before and just like challenge myself and remember that this is about me getting better reflexes. Like, but that's just myself. And, and I feel like those are the conversations that I would love to see these studies provoking in people like whether their parents talking to their kids about competition or not but unfortunately i think this is getting framed as being about video games as opposed to about competitive games like like i mean we all know the stereotype about sports jocks at school also being really aggressive and at the time i always thought that that was because they're encouraged all the time to be extremely aggressive like in their sports 
practices. <laughs> so like, <laughs> that's why the jocks, uh, I assume were throwing volleyballs at people's hands all the time. I, I mean, I, I don't know that happened to me growing up. I don't know about everybody else, but the jocks were total jerks, but so were gamers, certain gamers, you know? Yeah. That's a really good point about learning self-control through, through playing games because there there is such a you know there's always a moment where you have to remind yourself that it's okay to step away there's always a moment where like you said you have to try something new and you know put yourself at risk there to, for for failure and i think that's a really another really important lesson and again that's not really being addressed by these studies what do i think about this um i think that the reaction to it has been very unhelpful um i tweeted about this earlier and it was um it was it was a bunch of gamers that got hyper defensive about it um which was just uh you know it's like it, it, they don't want to think about stuff right so i don't know i think um it's it's clearly a relation there right like we've seen it with uh you know online multiplayer games and um you know like first person shooters and stuff we've all experienced that like steve you had some rather aggressive language sent to you yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. So I don't know. Um, it seems like a rather obvious conclusion here, but I have no doubt that people are going to uh, just dismiss this. It, just because you're saying that it leads to some aggression doesn't necessarily mean that everyone who plays violent, violent video games is going to go and, you know, shoot up a liquor store. I mean, there's, and they're actually specifically saying that that's not the case. and They don't have evidence for that, but you can't, necessarily just pull the wool over your eyes and say there's absolutely no effect. I mean, I've seen, you know, my kids just watching like Justice League and then try to beat the crap out of each other right afterwards. And that's not even, (laughs) I don't even let them play anything Uh. that's that's really legitimately more violent than Splatoon. So it's just, it's it's kind of short-sighted just to completely dismiss this and say, no, it doesn't. But is that also kind of a reflex from the Jack Thompson era where Jack Thompson was making that leap all the way to everyone who plays violent video games is is just, uh, you know, going to be a criminal. And there you have to look at the fact that 97% of teenagers are playing games. And that's something that the APA (laughs) said in this like thing. Like it's, this is a It's already too late. Yeah, it's too late. And that's the thing is that we need to look at, you know, whether or not there is a connection and whether or not it leads to something more than short-term aggression, we need something more conclusive than this is a thing. And the thing is that people, I think generally outside of big, horrible events, don't really think about it. It comes up in the public consciousness when there's a disaster, and then we talk about it, and then we freak out about it, and then it kind of goes away because I think people don't want to examine too closely what they're doing in their lives. And I I mean, as gamers, you know, we have fun with violent video games and that's okay. We don't always, you know, turn an inner eye on why we enjoy these things. And, you know, I personally think it's fine. I think it's a good way to blow off steam. And then I think with, with kids, um, and I lost my train of thought and I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Something, something kids, something children, blah, blah, take care of them. Whatever people with kids would say. Yeah. It's about parental guilt. That's what I was going to say. Sorry. It's that, you know, as a parent, you know, sometimes you need to let your kids play games and there's a lot of judgment coming at you from other parents in certain social circles, definitely about, you know, Oh, you let your kids play those games. Why do you do that? That's horrible. So I think, Mm. I think people, that at that point also get defensive about violent video games like oh god it's just a game like shut up and leave me alone i just feel like it's weird that people don't get similarly defensive about kids playing really competitive sports or you know 
pretty much any other culture that we can yeah, also right. see has been linked to aggression. <laughs> like, like really any, any other thing. Like, and it definitely feels like a fear of video games specifically, which I, I'm not saying we shouldn't still criticize them. Of course, Definitely. I think we should. <laughs> Wait, you criticize video games, Maddie? I I love all games, clearly, and I've never Equally. had a problem with any video game in the world. Um, <laughs> That's what I but thought. <laughs> I I just I I do think that that the fact that it's a reaction to a shooting it just reminds me of some of the like really simplistic arguments that were made about Columbine back in the day, and that was around the time when the first concerns about like them those shooters had played doom together um and and people were like oh is is doom too realistic and okay like we're we're very worried about shooting games for a little while but Mm -hmm. but i feel like that's not quite the right problem you know like instead we're we're talking about video games and i feel like we should be talking about like toxic masculinity and like Mm -hmm. standards that are imposed upon young men and like how we tell white men in particular that they deserve certain things and they're raised to believe this and a lot of them a lot of shooters are white men young white men who feel like they were promised something that they then didn't get like we need to be looking Mm -hmm. at those issues as opposed to video games because statistically like everybody plays video games so i don't really know what conclusion we can draw from that at this point and maybe we should be looking at other patterns that the shooters might have in common and like other more systemic problems about like maybe how easy it is for them to get guns and i don't know how political (laughs) we want to get on this show but because we've always shied away from that yeah well actually we kind of do yeah we we try to stick to video games around here but it's funny because I'm because this is coming out like the same week that there was this study that came out about kids who were playing football and apparently playing tackle football at age 10 to 12 is wow. going to Ooh. completely just is like doing way more damage, like physical damage to your yeah. brain than, yeah. than any video games <laughs> can do. To learn this, concussions yeah. are damaging. What <laughs> news at eleven? Yeah, I. I mean, like, I feel like we should be more worried about that for sure. And yeah. it's not to say that I don't think that this is a serious concern. And the defensiveness that gamers are showing indicates their own immaturity about mm-hmm. like how they need to really be thinking about competition and how it might be affecting them. And I and think, I think that's crappy too. So I don't know. Yeah. I think that's kind of part of a trend of just video games being raised out of the realm of subculture and kind of subsumed in mega culture, which is a word that I just made up. Yep. Is that, that sounds I, real. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I am a scientist. Um, yeah. You have people, you know, raised with, with um, raised in a subculture who are protective of that subculture. And I think there's also a lot of you know, I mean, within video games, even there are arguments about superiority, like between mm. PC gamers and console gamers, et cetera. Oh, so God, there, yeah. there's already kind of this contentious defensiveness within the culture, I think, in the same way that you see with physical sports, you know, team team culture and all that. So it it makes sense to me that there would be this kind of immature defensive reaction from a certain set of people when something like this comes up. I don't think it's necessarily connected to the nature of video games, but rather the nature of the subculture. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of interlocking problems. 
<laughs> video games are a mess, you guys. And I mean, and anything and anything not in moderation yeah. can you know exactly. Do yeah, harm and to I, you, I don't. So. I don't want to come out saying like I don't. I want to. I don't want to sound like I'm saying video games are great for everyone and you should play yeah. them all the time and they don't make you violent. I do think that we definitely need to look at the ways. The, right. the trends in video games, that is really important. The fact that the default mechanic in a game is shooting generally, like, with, within mainstream games, that's a problem. We should look at that, but on a cultural level, for sure. Uh, any any final words? Talk to your kids so, about violence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More like talk to your kids about the patriarchy. And if you yeah, have a boy, that. tell him it's okay to, like, have other friends because... If you read the statistics on like how men don't have friends in our country, it's really, really sad. And oh, I feel God, like it yeah. leads to a lot of these problems. It's depressing. Anyway, I'll get off yeah. my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> Patriarchy hurts everybody. Okay. I like your soapbox. It's a nice box. <laughs> Patriarchy sucks, you guys. Yeah, that's that like the tagline our, of the that's show. That's our secret tagline. People <laughs> think that it's gaming with perspective, but the secret tagline is the patriarchy sucks. Don't it's tell actually anyone. Maddie's battle cry when she rushes into battle. The patriarchy sucks. <laughs> Uh, oh goodness all right so let's go on from talking about how violent video games affect you to talking about how violent video games are affecting espn how about that (laughs) (laughs) sounds great so so uh the dota 2 international tournament happened uh this past week it was a five-day tournament that it it's the fifth one that they've done and we've we've kind of talked about esports a couple times we talked about that doping controversy a couple of weeks ago but this is a really, really big tournament, and it seems like it's big enough to start getting people to start talking about it as not that weird thing that those people do with sitting in a dark room with headphones on and actually starting to consider whether esports are legitimately sports or not. ESPN was covering it uh, in, a, in a way that's very different from the way that they covered it. The last, uh, the Heroes of the Dorm competition that they had aired a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, where one of their on-air personalities threatened to quit if that was the, the kind of sport that they were going to keep, uh, <laughs> they were going to keep covering. He actually did quit a couple of weeks after that, anyway. Um, yeah. But they actually had a really like legitimate five-minute segment on it where they were actually trying to understand what it was and pointing out that the purse, which was like eighteen million dollars is more than the Masters and more than, like, a number of other major traditional sporting competitions. And and the other thing that was a little bit different about this is that an American team won, so it wasn't that weird thing that people in South Korea are doing playing StarCraft for hours on end. This was, you know, an American team, and we have a long tradition in this country of, you know, caring about something for 15 minutes after an American team wins something. So USA! Uh, so do, does this feel like, you know, another just 15 minutes of fame for esports, or does this feel like it's starting to make a turn in terms of being something that, you know, the rest of the sports world might start taking seriously? No. Um, <laughs> you know, I did uh, cable news this weekend, and, you know, they brought me in to, to talk about, uh, you know, to talk about Dota 2. So, you know, I think when it's, when it's making, you know, major cable news channels, I think that's, um, I think that's the point where it's, it's kind of a different story, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, and I think it's at the point where people can't ignore the ratings. Um, you know, we are a, well, my husband is at least a, um, a huge baseball fan. And, you know, we, we watch the World Series year after year. It's hard to not note that 
you know, the ratings for that have dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped. So, you know, we're at a point now where I think, um, I think things are so fragmented and people are kind of looking at, you know, how do you attract a younger audience? Um, it only makes sense. I think, I think people take things seriously that have real money behind them. And, you know, Twitch shows clearly that people will tune into this stuff and watch it. So, you know, I think it's, uh, I really think that's it. You know, and this is, uh, you not to get political, but there was a you know, there was a thing that Chris Rock was talking about um, on HBS Real Sports a few weeks ago that um you know it really really struck me. I was really really thinking about that. Chris Rock was talking about how black people don't watch baseball the way that they used to when he was growing up. He was commenting how youth culture tends to really follow and be ignited by. Like that's really where the culture goes as a whole, right? Like, so if, you know, young people aren't watching baseball as much as they used to, you know, baseball is going to die. So I I think in that same vein, like, you know, if they're getting like real people sitting here looking at at these sports as they're coming out, um, I do think that's starting to crack into the mainstream. That's true. Follow the money. Yep. Yeah. and the the thing that struck me because I was watching some of the some of the matches this week as I was getting ready in the morning, and it strikes me that the play by play announcers are on par with anything that you'd see in like a a quote unquote traditional sport. Like I was watching, I have no idea what the hell's going on, but <laughs> but he sounds like really excited about it. And there, and I've I've been going back and forth whether that's something that they they need to do to introduce people to the sport is kind of explain it more and more like when they're showing some of these really niche sports in the Olympics or whether they just need to do what they're doing, which is we're just going to call play by play and we're going to assume that you know what you're doing, you know what you're watching. And if you don't too bad, which is the way that they call a football game during the Super Bowl, they don't dumb it down for people either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, is that something that could be a barrier to this getting acceptance or is it something that if there's enough people watching it, people will just kind of look at it and figure out what's going on and get interested that way. I was going to say, yeah, I don't know crap about football, but during not this last Super Bowl, but the one before that, uh, at the time I, I had a girlfriend who really, really loved football and like, she was there to explain it to me. And that made me, that was a huge help for me. I understood football. I knew what the lines on the field meant. It was a whole new world. So I think that that accessibility problem, which is very real because Dota is very complicated and so is League of Legends, that uh, they those games will become more accessible as more people get into them and start, you know, explaining them to the people they love. I think that we kind of have a tendency to get people into the things that we care about. And that will, I think we'll definitely see those things becoming more accessible as they become more popular. Yeah. And I, I guess I would also, I mean, I agree. Uh, but also I think that the rules of baseball and football and all that stuff just kind of seeps into our culture because we are all supposed to know the basic rules of them. I mean, Mm, there's still obviously people who don't care about those sports at all and really don't know anything about them. But if you watch a few games, it's enough to pick up the basics and the basics of Dota and the basics of League of Legends are not that hard to pick up. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. two teams. They're both trying to get something some MacGuffin, and you know everybody's pushing back and forth it's not so different from watching a football game because it's team-based and um i i was thinking about uh why the international seems to have so much more money and popularity and viewership than uh evo 
or which is like a fighting game tournament, even though Evo has been around longer and like obviously Street Fighter has been around for a really long time. And like a lot of uh, fighting game players and I know also Starcraft players have wondered, like, why haven't those games uh, gotten to the mainstream? And why is it that Dota and League of Legends are mainstream? And they are in the sense that like people that I know who know nothing about games have told me that they've seen League of Legends tournaments and Dota tournaments. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you even what? What are you saying to me? But like, but these are people who don't watch Street Fighter tournaments. And that's, that's totally fine. And I think the thing that's making Dota work is that it's team-based. And people mm-hmm. can recognize, like, okay, this is this one team. And they, they already know how to put on their emotional, you know, sensation of, like, being part of a team. And, oh, we're all on the team. Like, that, to I mean, them, you know, feels familiar. We love teams. We love personalities, and we love chemistry between groups of people. Yes, and that makes it the exciting. chemistry like, thing is yeah, better than oh just one on one. I mean, even though people have talked in the fighting game community about how, like, oh, if only journalists would take fighting games seriously and write about each of these players who are famous to us, and why hasn't that happened? But every yeah. time somebody's tried, nobody reads those articles because it's just it's too hard to capture what makes individual fighting games players interesting. And I think it's because there's too many of them, honestly. Mm-hmm. But when you have teams of people, it's a little bit easier to sort of characterize a team's trajectory. Everybody wants to root for the underdog or the, this team is from a particular college or from a particular place. Like that's enough for people. They don't need to learn all these individual names. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. that's a big part of it too. Uh, just just one one point and I'll let you, I'll let you go. But the, one of the reasons you, you asked how they're getting so much money behind it. And one of the in comparison to other esports, yeah. yeah. And one of the things they said on the ESPN report is that um, they a portion of all the proceeds from all the in-game items that people are buying when they play Dota Two is going towards the prize pool for the international. So that's one of the reasons that you're ah. getting so much money into that because people are spending so much money in Dota Two that their Valve is able to put aside a portion of that. And then put that into this ginormous prize pool. I don't think it's just that, though, because I think they're able to get sponsorships and stuff because they know that more people are interested in watching Dota for better or for worse than they are in watching StarCraft tournaments here or other sort of one-on-one games here for whatever reason. And I I really do think that the team thing is a big part of that. I can't prove it, but it seems Did you guys watch the the Taylor Swift music video that the two of the Evil Genius members made for each other? No. It was so adorable. It was in the Ars Technica piece that we read. Uh, He totally, in this piece, the author did exactly what you're talking about, Maddie. Like, he summarized, like, the characters of each of the the members of the team, and it was totally like, you know, there's the leader, and there's the 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 quiet, cool one. Yeah, the one who's (laughs) the backbone of the team. Like, I was getting heated. And so... (laughs) Are Are they your sons now? Yeah, they, they are, are all my sons, <laughs> though they are 3D, which makes them different from the rest of my sons. Um, also, they're flesh and blood. Um, I made it weird. <laughs> you have a lot of imaginary kids, apparently. <laughs> I do. Uh, unfortunately, I'm a I'm a terrible mother. But so one of the members of the team made this music video where he sings Taylor Swift's love story and like photoshops his head onto Disney characters, and it's the love story between him and another member of the team, and it was so cute. <laughs> That is really cute. I watched it right before this podcast, so I feel good. That's adorable. I guess I feel like there's a meta question here. Like, is Dota really the best 
like kind of game for this for this um kind of broadcast experience i mean you know i can i can kind of understand where something like modern warfare would be but i think it has the problem that it's it's generally in the first person yeah. right yeah. like it's hard to get an overview of the field like in say football or baseball um dota is I think it's it's better because like it's pulled out and it's all about like controlling lanes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, it's not really exciting. Like there's no, you know, the quarterback throws a pass and oh, they go for it and they really caught it, right? Like there's there's nothing like that. And I, I think, think there that, is for the people who are really into the game though. Oh yeah. yeah I think there yeah. is too. I actually think that football is probably the best similarity. And I say that as somebody who who kind of likes football. So so I'm going to make fun of it a little bit here. But like football is not really that complicated. You really can only go left or right with the ball. <laughs> That's it. Like there's only two directions and there's some stuff that can happen with like the lines on the field and like who gets the ball when. But that is about it. And like once I figured that out in elementary school, I was like, oh, this game's really easy. And and like that was why I like football as a very, very young kid, because it was way easier for me to keep track of than all the other sports that were on TV when I was really young. So like mm-hmm. I think that actually Dota is more complicated in some ways and, and a lot of uh and like League of Legends and, and even Heroes of the Storm because they have the multiple lanes. So you can be constantly switching perspectives and be like, oh, what's happening here? What's happening here? And people can be teleporting around in these games usually. So that's kind of like catching a pass right like like oh this this person's teleporting here oh they're going back to home base are they going to make it in time i mean that's Mm -hmm. actually very similar to catching somebody right before they make a touchdown right i mean that's i don't know i i think it's actually a lot like football even in terms of the the camera's perspective on the players they're sort of like the same size as when you're watching a football game and i think that's intentional yeah, I, I actually thought it was more like my experience of trying to watch hockey on, as a kid when mm. I was, uh, you know, when I was younger. Because hockey is so fast paced, though, in comparison. But yeah, it I is. Know what you but mean. the pro- but the thing is that the puck is so small, especially when it was I was watching it on like a standard def television. And so the, a big problem when you're trying to watch hockey, and a reason that hockey never really took off, is because it's so hard to figure out what's going on until you learn that you need to watch the person who has their stick on the ice, as opposed right. to looking for this little black dot among all the other mm. little black dots on the on the ice. Yeah. You have to watch the body language of the players and right. what they're reacting to as opposed to trying to keep track of the puck itself. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of similar. Yeah, I mean, I felt when I was watching it that I had no clue what was going on, and especially with the terminology, which is foreign to me. But I kind of picked it up after watching a couple of matches. But yeah, it, Dota is very, very complicated. I'm, I'm curious how the next Heroes of the Storm tournament in, I think it's October or November, is going to go. Because that seems like it's more suited for something like this because it's so much simpler and it's a little bit easier for for a uh, like a novice who doesn't know the game to pick up maybe. Mm. But but I do think it's more it's better than something like Counter-Strike just because you can see the whole thing even if you're jumping all over the place. You can yeah. at least see the whole field and you can kind of get an idea that something's happening whereas if you're watching something like Counter-Strike you're having to bounce between all of the different people's perspectives and you may not be getting an idea of what the whole field looks like. Yeah. And I think pe- I might be wrong about this, but I think people's roles on a team are a little more defined in something like Dota or League of Legends. Um, and I think that that kind of helps people grasp onto like, okay, this person needs to do this. That's their right. role. You like know, they're, they're the quarterback doing of the attacks. They're yeah, doing yeah. healing. And like people can sort of recognize, oh, that's what's happening on the screen when yeah. the announcer is good. Ideally, yeah. it'd be pretty helpful. And like in Counter-Strike, like sure, you might have someone who's sniping and they're doing that, but that's also not very visually 
interesting. Like there's a, a level of skill there and it's really fascinating, but I don't think it's visually like compelling in the same way that all the like colorful characters in something like League of Legends or Dota are. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a step in the right direction. I think. Heck yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just I can't help but think that like after the last year for uh, women in tech, how it's it's um, it belongs right up there, right next to football. <laughs> it's, it's like <laughs> well, it's this is the next fit. fight is like getting yeah. women esports competitors. <laughs> I mean, like when people talk to me about like being a journalist in my field, that is actually the first comparison that I make to help a non-gamer get it. I'm like, okay, so you know how women are treated in sports journalism? That's what my job is like. And people are like, oh, oh, oh that sucks. <laughs> but like, that's pretty much what it is like. Like occasionally you have women commentators, but usually there's just one and like she's ridiculed and her looks are constantly questioned so yay we're going in a great direction video (laughs) games (laughs) it's gonna be interesting i know there was that drama last year with the hearthstone tournament where they segregated genders um but it'll be interesting i think as more women come up in esports and because i mean no there are already a lot women in esports but not that many actually yeah yeah they're not as many as there should be agreed but i don't think that we'll we'll see esports being gender segregated like we do with athletic sports right I right not. of course so that's going to be an interesting uh yeah cultural yeah. shift yeah i think that is Hooray. the part of it that will be kind of fun because yeah. everybody's abilities are theoretically the same because there's no upper body strength really factoring <laughs> in so so anybody could could be really good at dota and don't write in and tell me stupid biological arguments because all of that stuff is totally bunk and if you google it then you'll see that it's all bunk because i google it all the freaking time just to get angry about it it's print out your emails and burn them see those are the things that cause aggression that stuff does cause aggression in me nothing makes me angrier than people telling me that i have bad spatial awareness or whatever because of genes or some bs that they made up lies i'm good like what's my what's my excuse for sucking then yeah, Steve is proof of something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Before we go into the next topic, um, you know, this is more of a rocket topic, but this this dropped today, and I I really need to address this really okay. quickly. So is that cool with you, yeah. Steve? Yeah, 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 sure, yeah. go ahead. Go for it. Okay, so, um, and Simone, you're here, so it's like we'll have a mini rocket I'm like, right uh-oh, here I didn't on study isometric. Up on so so Maddie and I will have to combine to become Christina? Is that yes, what we have to do? Yes, you can do that. So... <laughs> I, I will cover this quickly, but um, Apple dropped their uh, diversity numbers today in tech, and um, you know their Apple PR did really their best job on it to kind of polish it and um, kind of put the best spin on it. Like they put the number of women that Apple hired to the forefront. Um, and they put out a bunch of graphs, but you know, they also didn't link to last year's numbers in their report because if you do look at it. You see that this has barely moved, and I, I need to tell you all why I'm choosing to talk about this today on Isometric, because um, I have to be honest, I'm in a really bad mood coming into the show today. So Apple puts out this kind of misleading report. Um, if you look at the numbers, Apple's overall gender um, like difference in hiring women has changed by 1% overall. It's changed not at all in leadership, and it's changed uh, barely in the tech sphere. So what does this mean? All the jobs they added are basically in retail. So that's that's one problem 
but the the real problem here is when I'm looking at who's reporting on it. Um, I more had a white, a white straight man report on this, and he gave a very very sunny, like basically toad apples party line about it. Um, Jim Dalrymple on Loop Insight, a site that I've written for, um, you know, basically said great progress. Um, you know, Christina Warren gave a very accurate report on this. I feel like I'm being on a show with her. I can't really analyze it objectively. But, you know, Verge, another straight white dude, looks at it, gives a very sunny, aptly take on it, though they actually compared it to last year's numbers. This is a real problem, guys. The men, frankly, that are in a position of a lot of power to look at these numbers with Apple – um, yeah, they, they didn't really look into it. And they're so emotionally invested in wanting the situation to be better that they they don't want to hear it when you're saying, well, please look at these numbers. Like, they're so quick to say, yay, we're making progress, but more needs to be done. And, you know, in fact, like, as we were recording this, Jim Dalrymple of The Loop is, like, swearing at me repeatedly and, like, personally attacking me on Twitter for like saying, I don't think you did a very good job looking at these numbers. And, you know, it's, you know, Maddie, maybe this is something you can talk about, but I, I want people to know that like, when you talk about this stuff, there's nothing but cost for you if you're a woman, if you bring it up. Like, it's not fun and it's not easy. Oh, and yeah. I just, I want to just say it's, it's really frustrating to be abused like that by somebody in the Apple community and, you know, it's like, I I think this is what happens when you don't have any women doing analysis, right? I mean... Culturally, we need to work on letting people be negative about things and oh not God, trying yeah. to reassure them. No, 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 it's okay. You can be... But, but look at the bright They're side. They're trying. Be happy about it, too. Like, just, <laughs> you know, let people say, tell it like it is. Don't... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, those graphs were like almost identical. The only, and especially in the rate, the the breakdown by race, the only change was going from um, un, from undeclared to Asian, which goes along with them opening a lot of stores in China. I mean, if you're going to be doing honest reporting, you need to look at that and say that you know it looks like nothing's changed, or look in. I mean, it, the numbers say are what they are. Yeah, a lot of white people tend to think diversity means women, and I'm guilty of this too. But diversity, like. You know, it includes different races, includes, you know, various sexualities, you know, like it's not all about white women. And, you mm -hmm. know, I think that's the trap that I see a lot of the analysis falling into. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I know I it's not a, a I, I know it's not an isometric topic, but I it's just the response is just really put me in a funk tonight. I don't like this happening with an important person in the Apple community. No. I wish yeah. like you could just take a breath and like realize it's not personal. You know, yeah. I don't win anything from pointing out that these numbers aren't great. And I wish the numbers were awesome. You know, there's no yeah. there's no value in shooting the messenger. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, they're not even your numbers. You're just pointing it out <laughs> yeah. like you didn't do. You're not yeah. even involved at all. Like what all you did was I am to look at the numbers from last year. Yeah. And compare them. <laughs> How wow. dare you? How wow. dare you look at the 2014 numbers? Didn't yeah. we delete all the numbers from 2014? I feel didn't like this is one of those times when we're supposed to give people a whole lot of credit for trying a little bit which i mm -hmm. think does happen in, in games and yeah. tech a lot and i 
I absolutely run into this in reporting or just tweets or whatever, where I say, okay, um, this game is trying to do X, but it's falling short in these certain ways that are kind of offensive and they should really be thinking about that. And then I met with a lot of defensiveness, like, oh, well, shouldn't you be giving them more credit for, for trying? And I'm like, I am, I'm giving them so much credit that I actually (laughs) think they're going to listen to me make this critique. Like, (laughs) I'm actually assuming they're already listening, unlike most people who are not listening at all. Like, they've already made the stated goal that they're going to hire diversely. In this case, that's the stated goal. So theoretically, they should be up for listening to critique. That's exactly what they should want to hear because that's what their stated goal is. So we're doing the right thing by pointing out that they could be doing a better job and that they should be really focusing their efforts on hiring within other sectors besides just Apple stores. I mean, is that what the the diverse hires are like like people at the genius bar because that's cool Jeez. like like seeing diversity on the genius bar that's definitely cool but like but it's women that can't be the only place not about jobs at the mall it's exactly not. it's yeah. it's just not and but I mean you know Maddie something I don't get any reward whatsoever for it comes at nothing but cost for me is to continually look at who's doing the coverage and to point it out when it's invariably no women or black people or Latino people, you know, like, and it's so important in the game world, but it's just as true in tech and the Apple sphere. It's incredibly important. I love Relay. I love this. I love this network. It's our one year anniversary next week. You know, I'm so proud to be on here with Stephen and Mike. But, you know, the truth is, like, as far as I, I know, I think we only have one Latina woman on here. And then it's, you know us and Rocket and, you know, Yasmin over on Material. And, you know, like, it it has consequences for coverage. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's experiences that we literally cannot speak to on this show, because we don't have them. And, like, obviously we can try to have guests, and we do, but, like, we can't speak to those experiences and that's just a shame so it's important for people to be encouraging of like you know (laughs) diversity in podcasting or diversity in tech journalism or whatever it may be because you know if you aren't white then your opinions are just considered like not important mm-hmm. in technology yeah. for some reason. And then to not bash the, that person who is that, that individual yeah. speaking out because you know what? They, they do have a different perspective. They have a different experience and it's totally valid. You don't, someone else will be handing out the cookies while someone else on the other side is doing critique and that's okay. Like someone needs to be doing that critique. It's really important work. We can't just, you know, keep coasting along at increments of 1% per year. It's not going to, that's not, that's not cool. Yeah. And like yet again, I mean, with games, I can speak to this, although not, not tech necessarily, but I'm sure it's the case with games. We can look at who plays games and see that there's so many gamers who aren't white and there's so many gamers who aren't men. Like we can look at the statistics on that and be like, wow, it's really remarkable that there's so many black people and Latino people playing games, but none of them are making games. That's weird. I wonder why that is, but like we can't, whoa, we can't figure it out. Like, What are Are we? Is there systemic inequality at play there? uh, Could that be it? No. That's (laughs) weird. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. things are getting better. 
That's what I keep hearing on Twitter anyway. So I don't think we have to do any work. I think they'll just get better, right? You know, it's cool. Like, I think it's okay to say that things are getting better, but then in this, you can't also bash the people who are saying, you know what, it's not enough. Like, because yeah. it isn't enough. I feel like the people who tell me that things are better are like the people who are reaping the benefits of others calling out the changes that need to happen, but not themselves calling out those changes. Do you know what I mean? Like they're watching somebody take that flack and they're like, wow, things are finally getting better. I have no idea why. It could be because all these activists are loudly speaking up about it and taking a ton of flack for it. That's why things are getting better. That's true. And also, like, if you're saying if you're saying, hey, things are getting better to someone else, you're probably (laughs) misstepping there. Like, no, no, don't 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 tell other people how things are for them or for you. It's it's okay to celebrate on your own, but don't make it a generalization. Yeah, it's just like a weird thing that I see people say a lot. Yeah. People saying know. that to I, you is just like, uh, what? <laughs> I know it comes from a place of kindness, but it also seems like it's just disregarding how things are getting better. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, who's doing yeah. the work and like yeah. upon whose backs the revolution is, is being carried, you know? I don't know. Yep. yep. Politics. This is a very political show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, unless, unless you have something else to say, Brie, you want to cheer up and talk about Resident Evil 2 a little bit? I do. I okay. do. Do we have any ad reads this week? Uh, we do not. No. Okay. So Sorry. we have, I think we have two next this week. This week so. we're being endorsed yeah. by the patriarchy sucks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we get paid a lot of money yes. for saying that the patriarchy sucks. That's why we're millionaires. <laughs> Seven cents on the dollar for saying <laughs> the patriarchy sucks. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, I love being wealthy. If the patriarchy sucks. When your when your ceiling needs to be made of glass, reach mm-hmm. out to the patriarchy sucks. <laughs> uh, Give women the vote. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Resident Evil Two. Anyway, oh. so so there's been kind of some rumors going around for the last couple of weeks that Capcom maybe sorta of wanted to do a Resident Evil Two remake, but they needed to hear from people that they wanted to make it, and there was. Uh, there were a number of articles like, if you want a Resident Evil 2 remake, you better let Capcom know because they may or may not be thinking about it. So eventually uh, this week, uh, the producer on the remake it put out a video sporting a We Do It t-shirt. And they didn't say when it's going to happen, but they are going to be making a Resident Evil 2 remake, which will be sometime after their remake of Resident Evil Zero, which is coming out next year. So... I, I know, Brie, you were really excited about this. Are you more ex- – I mean, I know that the Resident Evil remake – Resident Evil 1 remake was, oh, was, a, was a train wreck. Disaster. Disaster. Are, disaster. Are, I mean, well, are, I go ahead. Go okay, ahead. hold on. I don't, think, I don't think it was a train wreck. That's not fair. Okay. Um, I mean, the boobs were a disaster. Yeah, the boobs were a train wreck. <laughs> the boobs were terrible. I, I was specifically They're thinking of the so boobs terrible. that were a train wreck. But, yeah. but the game is entirely about the boobs. Like, right. you could play through with it's not? and it would be <laughs> – Wait, you wait, wait. barely notice that, right? So <laughs> – um, um, I, I guess I feel like um, it was an older game design. Even the the HD remake, what it did was added some new things with the wind crests and some zombies that you had to put gasoline on um, to like do. So it wasn't a train wreck, but it wasn't a game that I felt was still enjoyable in 2015. So that's my opinion on okay. that. Is Resident Evil 2, in your opinion, a better game than Resident Evil? And are you... Are you optimistic about them taking some of the feedback from the Resident Evil remaster and making the Resident Evil 2 remake something more along the lines of what you're expecting from something like that? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's what I'm really hoping they're going to do. They're talking about taking a long time to uh, go into it. So, well, let's be honest. Like Capcom's uh, Resident Evil 6, Trainwreck, um, Resident Evil 5, (laughs) I liked 
a lot. Um, so I don't know. Um, can Capcom really reinvent this formula in 2015 and make it better? Um, I'm not completely sold on that. But let's let's take a minute and really talk about what makes Resident Evil 2 awesome. Okay, um, Steve, have you played Resident Evil 2? I feel like I played it, like, a little bit, but I came to know very, very quickly that those games were not my thing. So, <laughs> They're scary. Well, it's not even that they were scary, it's that they were frustrating in a way that I couldn't get past, and I think that something with the, like, the tank controls, where you're you're rotating and then moving in a direction was something that I really had a hard time wrapping my brain around for some reason. I also came to it, again, I never had a PlayStation, so I came to this, like, well after the games were released. So mm. I think I had different expectations of the game than if I had played it, went, played the games when they had come out. Yeah, I think I would have like had a different Yeah, like, stuff experience. like this is, it does not age well. Right. It, <laughs> it becomes clunky to, okay. to a modern eye. Yeah. I would yeah. say. Or you knew um, better. Maddie, have you played it? Yeah, but I, it's not one of my favorite ones really okay simone have you played i really like the first resident evil to be honest but but yeah so resident evil's older than simone (laughs) is it really is it really i can't be right i i have a very serious question i i was 1998 or i was 1998 i was eight years old when this came out yeah i'm actually 2000 years old now my serious (laughs) question is if there was a cage fight between the final fantasy 7 remake and the resident evil 2 remake and only one could win and be made which one would you guys want Hmm. Ooh. Don't ask me this because, you know, it's like <laughs> my my not my favorite game of each franchise. <laughs> and they're and they're duking it out, so I'm kind of like, oh, okay. Too undesirable. I don't really have a dog in this fight. I what do you two think? Lucky you. Bree? Bree could probably make this call. Yeah, I don't ask I, me. Either, Resident Evil 2, for sure. Resident yeah. Evil 2, all for right, sure. Right. But I mean, I want to talk about why this game is so beloved, if Please I can. Do. So, Resident Evil, and I've played both of these games probably 20, 30 times through them. Like, I'm a Resident Evil mega fan. Um, so, Resident Evil 1 was good, but Resident Evil 2 came and really, really pushed the formula over the edge. So, um, it wasn't just that you played one game all the way through and picked your hero and you were done. There was Resident Evil Disc A and Resident Evil Disc B. So there were actually four playthroughs that you had to do. Claire and Chris A and then Claire and Chris B. So it was this really crossing story. And then, like, if you beat it four times, you got the true ending at the end. Because in the 90s, we had that much time to play games. <laughs> so, um, but it was, it was really innovative. Like, better story, better monsters, better voice acting. Claire is a super beloved character. Yeah, she's awesome. For so many reasons. She is wonderful. She is wonderful. But... You know, this is a game that really stepped up and brought the cinematic formula to Resident Evil. It's the one that established the G-Virus. It's the one that established, um, you know, Sherry Birkin. And a lot of these characters that really came to really make up the the Resident Evil mythos. Like uh, Ada Wong, her first appearance was in Resident Evil 2. So, you know, this is a game that people are really, really passionate about. And, you know, for me, if I can just be honest here, like my lawyer 
probably doesn't want me saying this, <laughs> but like uh, Eliza was a female character from Resident Evil 1.5. So basically, when they came out with Resident Evil, they did this um, a halfway version that they ran past playtesting and they said, oh, this sucks. This is a terrible game. So Eliza, who's this character who like rode this awesome motorcycle and like wore motorcycle armor and was blonde and awesome, like a 10 out of 10 character design. Yeah, that was a really big influence on Holiday, even though, you know, Mm. Eliza's since been erased from history, which is amazing. (laughs) So um, I don't know. I'm really hoping that Resident Evil will kind of go back and, you know, look at some of these things that made this game so amazing. And also, like one of my favorite video game experiences, if you ask me what I'm proudest of, it is beating the Resident Evil 2 hunk scenario, which was so hard. So after you beat the game four times, what the game did is it goes, um, so you wake up and there's this soldier that gets killed in a cutscene. And then, like, it goes, and you go, hook scenario. And then the soldier wakes up in the sewer, and he's like, Alpha Team here, mission accomplished, Roger will rendezvous at the meeting point. And, like, so then you have to battle all the way through the game with this, like, very limited amount of ammo. And the only way you can get through it is by running past enemies. So, um, I don't know. I think it's, um, it, it was a really, really, really good mini game. Resident Evil's tried to get as awesome with like the Mercenaries mini game, but you know, this is, it, it's just the perfect Resident Evil game. It's the perfect setup, the best sets, the best characters. And I'm just really, really hoping they don't screw it up like they did the last one. So, so I have one more question and then, and then we'll, we'll go on to what we're playing, but I guess, this is this is kind of something that that I've been thinking about because we talked about rare replay last week and then we have the Mega Man Legacy collection coming out uh in a in a few weeks that that's collecting Mega Man 1 through 6 with a bunch of extra bonus footage. But it it feels like from like an archival perspective, is it a little bit concerning that you know whether we're going to be able to bring some of these games forward to the next generation is in the hands of companies, and, and especially thinking about the all the the chaos that's going on with Konami right now, mm-hmm. uh, like is this something that's concerning? That you know, it seems like this would be a no brainer for them to remake a lot of these games, but it's kind of in up to the whims of the companies that happen to own the content. And we have games like this that are beloved. Once those original versions stop working, we may not be able to play them anymore. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's probably fine. Stop being such a downer, Steve. Yeah, why are you so negative? Why It's getting better. Yeah, getting everything is getting better, Steve. And also, video games will live forever, and we don't have to worry about it. There's so. no archiving problem. What? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it probably is true that like as these remakes come out, mentally they will replace the prior versions over the years and like that's sad but I feel like I've already seen it happen with stuff like Mist, where if I try to like find original screenshots of what Mist used to look like it's really hard to do mm. because even the way that Mist looked on my original computer like was very different from how the game would be rendered now and so on and so forth and so that will probably keep happening with games forever and our collective memory will be really weird and it'll it's it's kind of sad I guess but it's also part of what makes art magical right i mean yeah it's really hard to preserve art it, it every yeah. form of art is this way and that's what makes it great and sad 
Anyway. True. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Round of applause. Well, yeah, like all the old guys. Doctor the Who Mona Lisa is the... deteriorating as no. we speak. Shh. But she looks so happy. <laughs> <laughs> she looks kind of happy, but she's also a little yeah. sad. And it's because she knows that death comes for us all. Okay, great. <laughs> let's make the, let's make this show even happier. Fantastic. All right. Let, before before Maddie makes us all cry into our laptops, why don't we go on to what we're playing? Yeah. Uh, so Simone, since you are uh, you were so nice to come fill in uh, the empty chair this week, what you can go first. What do you what do you play in this week? Uh, so I've been playing Zumbinis basically nonstop. Uh, do you guys know what Zumbinis is? Did you play it? I, keep, I keep seeing you post about this, but I have no idea what it is. I think you've been seeing Courtney post about it. And by the way, she says hello to everyone. Um, and I know that she's your real favorite. So, you know, whatever. Uh, Zumbinis <laughs> is this old educational game from the 90s. I think it came out in 1996. And I played it when I was a tiny, tiny thing. It was my Resident Evil, too, if you will. Um <laughs> Basically, it's a game of logic puzzles where you have all these little blue creatures and you're trying to escape, you know, the capitalist oppressor. I'm not kidding. Um, What? Yeah, these creatures called the bloats take over your island and they, like, ramp up your production and make you all work for them. And then the Zuminis are like, this is is horrible. A really cute game about imperialism. That's basically, yeah, the benefits of socialism. So okay. you have to like guide them to a new city, and um, it's just a set of logic puzzles where you organize them by traits, and like there are these rocks, and each one will only let a certain tr- zumini with a certain trait pass, and um, you make pizzas. It's wonderful. I love it. There's a lot of nostalgia coloring my views of it, but I think it is a really great game, and I've been playing it in the mornings when I get up because I have so much trouble getting out of bed and like mornings are when I'm really, really stressed. So I've just been getting up and getting out my iPad and playing Zumbinis, um, which you can buy in the Apple store for $10. So, so what ages other than, you know, 23 are, is that good for? <laughs> uh, millennials. And then I, I think, I think 10 and up would be okay. a good age. Um, it's all touch based. So it's really mechanically easy to play, but I think some of the little details are difficult like there's a level where you have to line the zumbinis up like uh, they all you know they all have hair eyes nose and feet those are the traits and um the little symbols that tell you the order to line them up in are really small and it's kind of hard to see so i i think it it would take a, a kid with more um concentration and um just detail perception to play it just because there's so many little details that you have to pay attention to and keeping track of like the reactions of the npcs in the game who are rejecting you or accepting you is is difficult but it's really fun i'm not making it sound fun but it's really fun <laughs> there are it, pizza it, trolls it, it sounds like a fever dream so that that could be fun yeah honestly i think most <laughs> things from the 90s are a fever dream it sounds like the kind of thing you'd, you'd play after eating too many oreos all at once or something like that don't talk about it <laughs> so so brie what are you playing this week okay so i'm still obsessed with fallout vault and oh my god fallout shelter rather yeah. and i have maxed it out as much as you can possibly max a oh game out and they brought out an update today that was just crap and completely unhelpful and didn't like add uh anyone to the vault to be able to be added so i was very very disappointed about that to the point where i don't know if i can keep playing it so um i've been playing that i've been playing final fantasy uh 14 i um got back into titanfall a little bit and of course i'm I'm really eager to go play life is strange episode four (gasps) just came out which i'm super excited about 
about. I think that's it. I think that's it. (laughs) Okay. So, Maddie, what are you playing this week? Um, I played Life is Strange Episode 4, which just came out. Um, File this game under games that are trying and are totally getting better or something (laughs) because I know that this game is trying really, really hard. And I know that the game's writers have gotten really defensive in public on Twitter about all those mean, mean video game critics who called them out for not having any women writers and not necessarily writing teen girls in a realistic way. Um, But, you know, in spite of that, I, I still feel the need to take them to task from time to time. And they'll probably never listen to this podcast, so it doesn't really matter but uh there are so many things that i really like about life is strange that it's a situation where i just get all the more frustrated when it messes up and i've talked about that on the show before but it just keeps being a game that i want to recommend without caveats but i have to like give a million caveats every time i talk to people about it because it uh, i don't know i have no other explanation for what it does other than to just say that it feels like a soap opera like it is a game about women but it does a lot of things that are very emotionally manipulative and i don't i don't know like a nicer way to phrase that but it has characters die before your very eyes in a very manipulative way and then you'll have to just only barely save them or They'll, they'll just die over and over. And it's always female characters who are, who are dying, by the way. And it's a time travel game, so you can sort of go back and save them. Um, and you're a female character, so that sort of helps subvert that trope a little bit. But, but it doesn't really quite get there, because you're still seeing a lot of damsel in distress scenarios, frankly. And um, the way that that gets played out so uncritically is, is kind of discomforting for me. But I, I'm sort of go back and forth on it because I really like getting to play as a female character. And I know the game's also gotten some flack because it's got a lot of white characters. And some of those white characters sort of appropriate slang terms that one might associate with black culture. And like, that's not really engaged with critically, but also they're white teenagers and white teenagers do that uncritically. So that's realistic or is it? And so like, I don't know. I mean, I, I do find that stuff tricky and like i've definitely met many people who just straight up hate life is strange because of those reasons and i i honestly can't blame them but um i'm still getting review codes for the game (laughs) so it's pretty easy for me to keep playing it without worrying about it but honestly if i weren't getting review codes i probably would have stopped playing the game and like that doesn't really bode well because this is a game that is theoretically for me you know what i mean like it's Mm. about women it's it's a game that I really want to like, but the way that it treats its female characters, it is a rough go. And so when I recommend this game, I have to be like, you got to be ready for women to be tied up and killed. Like you, you got to be ready for that. And you got to be ready for like suicide plot lines, which I found triggering. And I talked about, um, on Twitter a little bit, but like stuff like that, that is used in a way that soap operas do it, which is to say like in a way where they're trying to get you to cry. And like, there's nothing wrong with that genre, but just know that that's what it is. You know, like it, it, it's very soapy. It's very, um, like glurge is sort of the term for it sometimes when, when something's like, like a lifetime movie. Do you know what I mean? Like it's very uh, manipulative with, with your emotions, but some people really like that kind of media. Like my conservative aunt really enjoys it. So like, I don't know, (laughs) there are definitely people out there who like this game and, and I, even I like parts of it. So I don't know. I don't know guys. Episode four has a lot of really, really bad stuff happened to women in it, but there were parts that were so well written too. So I don't know what to, to say about it. 
Anyway. <laughs> well, you're just, you're just a barrel of sunshine today, huh? I, well, you know, I also played Street Fighter, but nobody wants to hear about that anymore. Steve, what have you been playing? Uh, well, so I I, pl- I picked up a game. Bri- I, I hesitate to recommend things to you, Brie, because I know that our, our tastes are pretty different, but you may <laughs> like this. Uh, a game called Invisible Ink, which is from Clay, I think it's pronounced how the the studio that did Mark of the Ninja and Don't Starve. It's kind of like a stealth XCOM that's set in like a cyberpunk future. So it, it's very turn-based and you're kind of sneaking around these different corporation floors looking to try to hack into safes and uh, hack into weapons, weapons depots and trying to steal plans for the corporation and bring them down. And it's, it's incredibly difficult. Uh, but I, I like it. It's, it's interesting. I have to be really on in order to play it. And, and it's a very roguelike. Like it's, it goes. It does the XCOM thing where if an agent dies, they're dead, and that's the end of it. And you really don't get very many of them, uh, though there are ways to get more. But it's it's an interesting take on the genre that I, I'm enjoying, though I haven't really been able to play it just because I've been um, I haven't really been on enough to be able to play it. And the other reason that I haven't really had a lot of time is because Maureen discovered Hearthstone this week. <laughs> and uh so we were at the apple store and they had it on the on one of the the phones so she played the intro she's like are you guys playing against each other no no i'm not i'm I'm not no oh, no no because if you do that then no. i want to like talk to you about it because zach and i play against each other a lot i mean like brie and, and frank do that too but yeah. like yeah. for us it's like a big deal yeah like mostly for me the, well, the problem the re- the problem is that I have so many more cards than she does right now that it wouldn't even be fair. Well, yeah. but what if she does though? What if she does mm-hmm. catch up and she's like, "Let's just try it, honey. Let's just try playing a game together. <laughs> what could go wrong?" Well, so what we've been doing is we she's been doing going through arena mode, which is like the seal deck, and so she'll play and I will be her uh, phone friend while she's playing. So she's like, "Well, should I do this or should I do that?" And then I'll I will help her through it so she's picking up some of the nuances of the game but she's already unlocked like half the heroes which you'll have to level up to level 10 and she's doing all her daily quests every day and she's like blaming me that she's not working on her novel because of this so i I think it's going (laughs) out i think it's going pretty well we've been doing that together so that's been a lot of fun too but i we're not playing against each other because that's a terrible terrible idea (laughs) (laughs) hey we managed to make it work but it is a constant struggle mostly for me no that's not true we can both be totally sore losers. I, I will. I will put it this way: Maureen and I just celebrated our thirteenth wedding anniversary, and we did not get there by playing competitive games against each other. We'll just put it that <laughs> Interesting. way. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Something to take I, I into account. To, I prefer to use Brianna and Frank as my model because I don't think Zach and I are going to stop playing competitive games anytime soon. Yeah. Nope. So we're just going to have to figure out how to make that work. You need to be ready to fight at a moment's notice with your oh, significant other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's the way to go through life. <laughs> she, she, and she pretty much always wins. So, yeah, that doesn't go well for me usually. One way or the other, she always wins. Mm, uh, that's so, as it should be. So, uh, so we'll just quick housekeeping and then we'll, we'll get out of here. So um, this n- coming week, as you hear this, actually, I think it'll be tomorrow as you're hearing this, if you're listening to this the day that this comes out, will be a year of uh, since Relay – .fm, the wonderful network of which we are a part, uh, came into being. So Mike and Steven, our fearless leaders, are going to be doing 
a live Q&A on August 18th at 1.15 Eastern that they will be streaming right here in the same live stream that you are listening to us right now if you're in the chat room. So uh, make sure to go and check that out. We have we are all really, really thrilled to be part of the network. And, you know, the network's really come a long way in the last year. So it's going to be quite a celebration. So and uh, Bree, you have are you you have a uh, voting for your South by Southwest panel that you want to direct? Yeah, to? yeah. So uh, we're doing. Um, I'm on several panels this year. Um, you can go to the South by Southwest voting site, um, which uh, Steve will give a link to in the the show notes. This is where I really do need isometric listeners to show up. Um, so there's one in particular. It's on VR. Um, I don't talk on the show every single day about all the awesome VR stuff that we're doing. Uh, But, you know, basically it's talking about how you tell narratives, how you do gameplay, what the considerations are as we're really moving into this uh, step that's beyond uh, just light years, beyond what the PS4 is about. So I am super excited about that. And um, I hope Isometric listeners will help me make that panel a reality. Awesome. So, yeah, so we'll have a, a link to that in the show notes and that you can find those at relay.fm slash isometric or at isometricshow.com. Uh, as always, you can uh, rate and review the show on iTunes. Uh, we really do appreciate all the wonderful reviews you guys leave and you don't have to write a review. You can just leave a leave a rating and that will help us out, too. Uh, you can send us uh, feedback via email to feedback at isometricshow.com. Uh, we are, again, part of the wonderful Relay.fm network where you can hear uh, Simone and Bree on Rocket every week along with all the other fine shows of the network. And, uh, Simone, where can people find more about you before we give the rest of our uh, our Twitter information? Uh, you should go check out Pixelkin.org. Uh, we're a website that writes about video games from a family perspective. We are super pro-game, but not against criticizing games. We love to get into that stuff, and um, I do a lot of video stuff for them. I'm doing a talk show right now called The Issue, where we just address one issue in games every week, and it's awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar. Oh, and you should go listen Which to Simone on Gaming with the Moms as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. My other podcast. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Gaming with the Moms is really fun. Fun. We actually talked about violence there in episode 16, I think. So if you want to hear me yammer on more about video game violence, that's it, the place to do it. It's mostly video game violence in Hearthstone is, is pretty much that podcast. Oh, God, it's all Hearthstone. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole and I are going to have to just get together and just get one, one podcast out of our system or something like that. She told me that about like every time you guys play each other or no, watch each other play, one of you loses. You can't yeah. win when you're yeah, watching each other We broke that curse. I watched her and she won. Oh. So we broke the curse. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay. Glad she showed you what's what. Yeah. She's way better than I am, I'll tell you that much. Um, so you can uh, find all of us on Twitter. Uh, the show's account is at Isometric Show. I am Wicked Good. And Bree, where can people find you? Space Cat Gal. And Maddie? Sam is clone. And Georgia? Georgia underscore Dale. Aww. And- <laughs> <laughs> that was so cute. And, and uh, so thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, hasta la vista, baby. Down, crack like a-